to Abacus Briefs, the podcast that faces off two real-life CPAs against Canada's current events. This podcast is sponsored by the CPA offices of KMP CPAs. For entertainment purposes, is not intended for financial or taxation advice and does not form a client engagement relationship. Remember, do not take financial or tax advice from a podcast. Here are Gus and Igor. Welcome back to Abacus Briefs. How's everyone doing? Gus, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, well into tax season now, so on two or three hours of sleep a night, so. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bonus for you. You're, you're usually not yeah, sleeping anyway. Exactly. Yeah, so listen, welcome back everyone. Happy happy to have you join us. Uh, Gus, good, good news. We we actually eclipsed our uh, target audience, and, and I we were joking that we get three to five listeners we I think we did 10 times that. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, I, I was expecting to put this podcast out there and project it into space and have no one listen. So, it's, you know, it's like one of those things that they just beam like satellite signals at the aliens. Like, exactly. You're just someone... you're just hoping that someone praying, praying that you, someone contacts and you can you can hear them. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. listen, um, again, we're happy to have you. We actually uh, surprisingly had uh, had a few questions because I, I guess we didn't go over this in the in the first episode but um the first the first one was why did we name this show abacus briefs so um i guess i guess i'll get started like abacus briefs um the word abacus number one is the the name of uh of a company that that we founded with uh with gus and uh one other partner uh, but also because abacus is the what is it? It's like the the official mascot of the accounting profession. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, I guess like predating the calculator, right? Is it was that old sliding machine that uh, um, you know used to used to be how you would calculate things? And I don't know if you like if you gave me an abacus today, I couldn't show you how to use it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, most yeah. people couldn't even find an abacus if. Uh, yeah. Even if they were directed to do so, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So abacus being being the uh, the counter, the briefs part being the current events that we discussed. So abacus briefs put it together, and we have a nice little infographic. So like I I know you can't really zoom in in a bunch of the podcast applications, but we actually put some some serious work into this logo. Uh, by serious work, it, it, it basically were slapped it together. But, uh, <laughs> but what, what, what you see in the logo is, is uh, two soldiers in the trenches, Gus. Like, do, do you think that defines their life these days? Yeah, yeah. Listen, per, uh, before we started our own firm, like I, I, I think, you know, being in the audit profession, both you and, my, you and I, and uh, that's, that's basically how we felt then. That's how we feel now. Like we're, we're there, we're, uh, you know, we're right there with our staff doing the work. It's not like we're sitting back and, uh, you know, on, reviewing. Yeah, not, not, exactly. not the fat cats. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not we're not on a throne sitting back while our uh, employees do the work. We're we're right out there in the field, uh, you know, servicing our clients. And yeah, uh, yeah. So right anyway, that is, exactly, and that yeah. that's kind of the basis of the the infographic, and uh, that's that's kind of our feelings here. Listen, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad that made a little bit of a splash. And, yeah, you know, listen, it's thing. it's more exciting than two uh, like calling the the podcast two accountants speaking about accounting and tax. I'm sure that would get, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that the, would get the no listeners. Might as well broadcast that into space. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, perfect. Um, so so anyway, we got a we got a great show planned today. So we have a few topics to discuss. So 
Uh, Gus, Gus, uh, you're going to start off with two topics and I'm going to kind of jump in. I actually have no idea what Gus is talking about, but so you'll hear my reaction firsthand. What, what are the two things you're going to, you're going to cover? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to March marks, uh, the Canadian anti-fraud center fraud prevention month. So I just oh, wanted amazing. to talk about some, some of the interesting topics there and then, uh, kind of dovetail into actually selecting, uh, financial advisors and and how to do that appropriately because you know uh, even from our experience with one on one consultations it's it's funny being on the other side of it yeah and seeing what clients ask us um, and you know if I was in their situation maybe I'd I'd be asking some different questions as well so I'm right right kind of talk that. about that a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, Igor. So, uh, what about yourself? What topics are you going to discuss? So, um, got some current events for you. So, uh, we'll be discussing the whole uh, Uber and Lyft uh, granting of stock to the drivers, and and sort of the um, the implications of that. So, some some interesting things observed there, and uh, interesting announcement in the last uh, few days was a, a bunch of stores like Gap, J.C. Penny, Victoria's Secret. Uh, ended up closing down, right. uh, as in they're closing a bunch of uh, stores as part of their brand, and uh, some some interesting things that uh, market wise that be interesting to analyze for us to discuss. So th- those are two things that I'll be covering. Uh, so that that I think is a is certainly an action packed show, and of course of course we can't go without the segment. Uh, we're gonna round this all off with a with a few questions. See see uh, putting uh, Gus and myself in the. In the hot seat and uh, seeing what we can answer. Yeah, and just a quick reminder for all our uh, Canadian listeners: it's uh, personal tax season now. So <laughs> yeah, exciting uh, times. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure it's on the the forefront of everybody's mind, right? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> should be. Yeah. Well, let's let's just talk really quickly on um, you know. You know, you, if you're using a professional, what can you do to get the most effective use of time from your professional? And, right. and uh, you know, maybe in terms of like compiling the information you need. Maybe well. save some fees. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because the last thing you need to do is send in half of the required documents to your tax professional and have them come back at you and say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm missing X, Y, and Z. So Yeah, and do it know, the day before. Good to, good to have a quick little checklist. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so absolutely. If, if you're, uh, you know, uh, employed your, your T4 slips, if, if you're investing, uh, your RSPs, um, any sort of medical receipts, you know, family, uh, like if you have children and, and they're in uh, daycare, you'd want to get those receipts as well. Just getting a general list and compiling all these documents uh, ahead of time, right, and, and not leaving it till the last second and where you're scrambling to, to get those receipts can be really helpful. So just giving yourself ample time to do that. Yeah, and, and a good reminder is keep yourself organized, right? If your tax situation is a little bit more complicated, Get that business information, that business summary. Tell the accountant how much money you made in revenue. Tell them what the expenses were. Tell them what you spent on the house. Uh, more information is better than less. The accountant can figure out what to do with it. Uh, but even if you're preparing it on your own, it's a good time to get organized and get everything together so that by the time tax season comes around and you're actually in the crunch for filing, you have everything available to you as you need it. And if you need advice, reach out to someone that knows uh, a little bit more about taxes and figure that stuff out. But it's a much easier conversation than one that ends in, well, why don't you send me everything? Because I can't help you until you do. Yeah, yeah. And again, if you're dealing with any 
reasonable professional, they should be sending you a checklist for you to kind of follow along as well. So, you know, if you just called half the professionals (laughs) of the country unreasonable. (laughs) Well, I mean, you could also Google it and you'd find find those checklists. So, you know, uh, the information's out there. And uh, yeah, start the dialogue early. The last thing you want to do is wait till the day before the tax deadline is due and then, uh, you know, submit everything to your accountant. You're like, I'm sure you're getting the person in, in the most reasonable state at that, you know, at the 24th hour. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, without, uh, without further ado, but, but that said, there's, there's one aspect I, I hope we can weave into our, our topics. And that's the whole thing about refunds. Like, is it a good or a bad thing to get a huge tax refund from the government? So maybe we'll say that for the last segment, because that's the one thing I always ask. People tend to evaluate their accounts based on the size of the refund. And uh, I want I want to put that I want put that put that issue to bed. Let's see. yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we'll get started with our first segment. Let's uh, let's kick it. I'm hearing a lot of chatter about this fraud prevention month. Gus, why don't you tell us about how to stay protected? All right. So uh, our first segment, Gus. What what are we talking about? Yeah. So, uh, again, Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre uh, issues a Fraud Prevention Month for the month of uh, March. So there's a you lot think, of... You think every month would be Fraud Prevention yeah, Month? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it should be. Um, <laughs> statistics for 2018, uh, Canadians lost over $3.4 million in scams just involving gift cards alone. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and funny enough, the number of victims between 17 and 18 have doubled. Oh, yeah. yeah. And those are the ones that's supposed to be not susceptible to it because you always hear it about the other side of the population. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny. Like when I thought about it, I was like, well, gift cards. But then it it kind of intuitively makes sense because gift cards are something that um, are becoming the preferred method for scammers because – it's untraceable, right? Mm. So, like uh, anything like that would be be cash value. That they can basically take the card, take the value of that card, and potentially even turn it into money and sell it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when when they're when they're doing it, so so like what? Like tell tell me a little bit more about like the 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 gift card thing. So I know gift cards used a lot, and listen, gift cards are implicated constantly in things like oh, I'm going to avoid tax. I'm just going to buy myself gift cards. So, like, what, what what's happening right now that's that's creating, let's say, fraud? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, there's there's a few types of scams, and they've, funny enough, remained the same over time. Uh, it's just the frequency of occurrence and the amount, the dollar values con- continues to escalate. Right. So, uh, the first one and uh, a very common one is getting a threatening call from CRA. So, the individual would be called. Um, they would, uh, it may be an aggressive person on the other line and, um, they're basically saying you're going, you have an outstanding balance owing and you're going to be arrested and the way you need to pay is in gift cards. So that, that already there (laughs) should give you a little bit of a red flag. Um, Number one, you're never going to get an aggressive call from CRA. Um, number two, like uh, payment in gift cards, like this just Probably doesn't happen. Yeah, and some, sometimes because I've seen ones where, like I've read, read a few uh, articles in the news, I would say over the last few months, where they would make reference to things like you would need to send a wire transfer or you would need to send a check and leave it in a P.O. box. So so maybe, maybe just to demystify this, like the CRA does not accept payment 
via via uh, what's it called miscellaneous anonymous yeah. deposit PO box yeah. <laughs> check and, and yeah method. definitely not gift cards either yeah right? yeah so, and it's it's dangerous because it, like that I guess like people don't necessarily know and. And the CRA seems like a threatening vehicle, but when it comes to collection of debts and stuff, and I'm and I'm sure that's that's part of it. Just like anything else, make sure you're the one that initiates the call, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I'm that's that's probably and, a, and a key that's, strategy. That's a great that's a great solution. Um, and and the 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 main other one is just if you're getting these threatening calls, hang up. Like hang up and call the CRA back because it's very easy right now when you. Um, uh, you know, you you have a, a cell phone. Like everybody's yeah. getting numbers, the caller ID on their cell. Yeah, phone. Yeah, and everyone's unknown. Uh, everyone's yeah, blocked. Yeah. But really, scammers are changing the the what's showing up on there. So it might even say Canada Revenue. True. Agency, true. Right. So you you need to be very careful with phone calls. Yeah. But um, you know, and and oddly enough, some of these calls aren't even happening at tax time. It's happening all year round. Right. So like uh, another thing to know is 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 just know your tax position like oftentimes like you wouldn't really have a balance owing throughout the years so you shouldn't be expecting these types of calls right um and and two uh you know you can check your balance online you can call them back that's that's really the solution around this one right and and i think i think the the key advice absolutely like uh skepticism be consistently skeptical. There, there is one. There's one conversation I had. Um, uh, I might as well share this, where it like a legitimate Rogers representative called me, and uh, and they said, um, "Oh, like, can you just tell me your postal code?" I'll, I'll, you know what my immediate reaction was? My immediate reaction was. I'm not telling you my postal code. I'm not telling you my name. I'm not telling you my phone number. I have no reason to believe. Like I and, and yeah, it's not <laughs> Rogers. They're like it was clearly a call from Rogers. Yeah, and it's yeah. not like I was doing this on purpose. But like I just assume that if someone's calling me and asking me for like identifying information, like yeah. account yeah. numbers, like they should you have need that something. Yeah, if you yeah. need something from me, you tell me where to call, and you tell, and I want to make sure that I am the one in control of who I'm giving this information to. And and yeah, it was stupid because the representative was confused as hell as to why I wouldn't tell them anything. And I and I, I basically hung up the phone at the end of the conversation and then I called Rogers back and they were like, yeah, yes, we we called you to, but you got to stay and safe. And that's fine. You got to yeah, stay safe, I think right? that's, it's better safe than sorry. And the problem is with a call, it's very difficult to verify, right? So the easiest way is just hang up and call back again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I assume like with CRA even more so. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, Gus, so what kind of what kind of ways would you say like just um, like what other scams are out there that that people should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, yeah. Let's go over a few more. So um, another one relating to prepaid cards is um, once you activate it, uh, a representative would call you and basically say, uh, "We'd like to confirm the balance on your card," and then they would they would prompt you for the number on the card. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard of this. So that's, that's but this one's intuitive, actually yeah. intuitive, right? Yeah. So if someone call like you activate the card, and then a few days later you get a call regarding yeah. that card, it's kind of you're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. I bought the card. I activated it. So maybe this is actually legitimate." Yeah. 
Um, And again, like what happens on the back end is, you know, people are giving their cards away and then the scammers are going to use that number and and basically draw down the funds in the card. And then when you go to use it, it's, 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 you know. Yeah. So so again, probably the warning sign here is exactly if anyone's contacting you by phone asking you for a card number and you're not the one initiating that transaction, like don't don't respond to it. Yeah. So so there's a common thread here, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, a lot of these prepaid cards have automated lines that right. you just call in to verify the balance. No one's calling you individually to no. verify this balance. Yeah, no one's calling <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There's you, like, was it thousands yeah. sold per day or something? Yeah, like yeah. Hundreds not, of thousands. You're not yeah. that special. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd yeah. all like to think that, that we are. Yeah, and then uh, another, another common one is actually just stolen numbers themselves. So when you go into a store... Um, uh, you know, thieves would actually take take record of those card numbers before activation, and then when you activate the card, then they would use the 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 actual card number oh. in transactions. So yeah, so this one's a little more uh, difficult to detect because you're not yeah. necessarily going to see it. Like you go grab a gift card and you say, "Hey, put." $200 on this number. Right. Um, and oftentimes, you know, they're in a little stack right in front of the cash register. Yeah, yeah. Right? Quite so, often these days, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, for me, I never pick the first one, but, like, I, really? I usually I usually ask the guy to get me a card from the back. You're, you're, you're a lot more in tune with this than I am. No, <laughs> yeah. because, I, like, I grab one, because I remember when I had to give, uh, for, for, like, one of the seminars I was leading, uh, a bunch of gift cards to the winners of, of a competition or whatever. Right. I, I just picked up the entire stack right at the front. Like I, yeah. I actually gave it no thought whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, most of these cards are going to have like uh, an identification code that right. that's covered up that you need to scratch off as well. So like a quick check of that. Obvi- like, it, oh, is that what that's be. for? Yeah. Like I'm, exactly. I'm completely oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning more than, than yeah. any of our listeners to be fair. Like, it's, it's yeah. So. I mean, I, it's 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 funny enough. Like, so a lot of things, you know, listeners might be sitting back and being like, "Oh, this is common sense," but you know, statistics. It isn't. I'm sitting right? next to you, and I have I yeah. had no idea. No, yeah. that that's what that scratch card f- uh, code was for. Yeah, yeah. So let's just dive into a few other types of scams. So we sure. talked about the the CRA scam. Um, funny enough, and I, I read this one, and believe it or not, I, I have a, an individual in my family who's fell victim to this, but oh, goodness. Uh, it's called the, the heartbreak scam. The har- uh, ah. Yeah, so this... I, I think I've heard of this yeah, one, yeah, actually, it's, it's in, my, in my defense, yeah. Very common. So, um, you basically, you you would meet someone wonderful online, and you know, these days, uh, meeting people online is, is, yeah, the, is, is, is kind of the way of the future, the course. right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you fall in love, and then uh, before meeting face-to-face, they start uh, you know, maybe they run into a difficult time, and they're they're starting to ask you for money, and and they're pu- they're pulling on heartstrings here, right? It's it's an emotional thing, right? And people are in it for the long game, like like statistics <laughs> are showing, like it's like six to eight months. Of Holy work. cow, that's yeah, yeah. dedication! Yeah, yeah. Before they start asking, so like you're really involved with this person, yeah, and uh, you know, like they're showing you a lot of interest. Like it's very natural to be like, oh, you know, I'm gonna help out a friend. I'll, I'll just give you, some yeah, money. yeah, you've been. Talking to them for eight months, yeah, like you, you build yeah. up rapport, and 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 you know, uh, you 
it doesn't sound as ridiculous when you're in this situation, but when you're talking about it with someone else, and yeah. you know, from a, a third party perspective, you're kind of like, wait a minute, like, yeah, how, do you sounds, know, like, yeah. have you met this person? Right, do right. you know where they live? Like, exactly. They, like, what, are they susceptible to any diseases? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, no, but you have, yeah, are they well, allergic to cats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you know that information, then maybe, uh, yeah, you maybe, can maybe some money, free. but yeah, you know, for. For me, I'm always uh, of the opinion, if I'm going to lend out money, I'm not expecting it back. Right. So uh, <laughs> at least to friends, like, uh, you know, it's kind of a uh, goodwill. Do, do you of mind it. if I borrow a couple grand while we're <laughs> yeah, at this? <laughs> yeah. But, but again, so uh, common sense here, like, uh, don't give out personal information yeah. to strangers. Yeah. Don't send money in small amounts. And, and oftentimes, like, the way that these scammers are prompting you are not through, like, e-transfers, right? Because yeah. e-transfers you can trace uh, the so bank what, accounts. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they're advising you on methods of payment or maybe it's cryptocurrency or what, what have you. Yeah, uh, exactly. Untraceable methods. You, you, you need to connect the dots here. Yeah. And I, th- I think, uh, I think you bring up a good point. Like th- that's a lot, of, like we went through a bunch of scenarios, but they all have one common thread. So there's one thing that you always see online is like, oh, be aware of this new scam. Be aware of this new scam. Be aware of this new scam. At the end of the day, there is a common thread between all of them and all of them involve you volunteering information to an an, an unknown third party. So if you can eliminate that part of your daily interactions, if you you refuse to get caught off guard and make sure that like a hundred percent of anything where you divulge sensitive personal information is something on your initiation, like, and you know the party that you're transferring it to, you can avoid like a 90% plus of these types of scams. Yeah, so I yeah. think, I think that's a common advice yeah, that we absolutely. probably put forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and uh, I just, I had one more on the list here. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's, um, let's go through it. Yeah. So uh, investment scams, and this one's a little bit more complicated because uh, this would be someone that's offering you uh, a, a special deal or a fabulous rate of return. And they're asking for X amount of dollars to right. invest. And and it's becoming more common now, right? With uh, unsecured investments out there, there's loans, there's, there's uh, privately held investments, there's micro lending online. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of these new investment vehicles now that that, uh, you know, uh, and even cryptocurrency to to an extent, uh, it, you know, it looks it looks good on the whole, and everybody's riding the train and making fabulous gains. But you need to you need to step back and think, okay, well, you know, here's what an average investment would give you. Like, right. is this reasonable? Um, and you know, work with accredited companies, and and uh, you know, I like to follow Warren Buffett's methodology here. Invest in what you know. So if someone's asking you for for you know uh, complicated uh, investment in binary options or something like that, and you know there was a big scandal with that. Yeah. Um. Like, I I don't even know what binary options are. I'm right. staying away from. Stay that. away from it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Because I, I, otherwise, like, if you're gonna treat investing like gambling. Your gains are going to be like gambling. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's yeah, not investing. Yeah. And yeah. that's not investing. And yeah. then you're just throwing money and hoping it lands somewhere. So a good way to probably avoid that type of scam is exactly stay away from it. Or if you know that like the risk like greatly, greatly outweighs anything else in the market, 
uh, and you're doing it willfully, uh, well, yeah. okay, fine, but expect to lose it. Yeah, yeah. No, no one's going to give you 20, 30% return for, yeah. uh, you know, like... You're not, you're not that special. Yeah. I think it comes down <laughs> to your earlier point. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on then. Hey, when I was in the lift the other day, I heard the driver talking about getting stock options. Igor, what's that all about? Igor, so, uh, you know, I can't seem to uh, go a week without hearing anything about uh, the Uber and Lyft IPOs. So it's a big thing in the news these days. It's funny you say that. That's literally our next topic. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) Okay, so... um, the what we're gonna discuss now, like I, I want to kind of get get uh, the latest news. Uh, so I've heard a lot about uh, exactly the Uber and Lyft IPOs, and one of the latest things is, I Lyft and Uber both indicated at one point that that they said their drivers are going to receive stock of the IPO company. And again, nothing's been papered; it isn't a hundred percent yet. But I wanted to kind of discuss, well, like what what is happening. So. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, the, the concept is if you're an Uber and a Lyft driver, uh, for those that haven't been following the news too closely, you as a driver are not considered to be an employee of the company, right? Like I, I can Uber, like us can Uber uh, as a driver. So one of the things... I, by the way, I, I do. Makes some pocket money. Not, are we not paying each other enough? <laughs> So, so exactly as as a driver, though, um, one of the benefits that they're thinking, and and again, they're trying to get the drivership up. Like Uber is taking over, like cab companies are, are having difficulty staying competitive. In, in and everybody wants to be an Uber driver. And what Uber and Lyft are looking to do is they're looking to reward some of the drivers that that are committed to them, like nearly full time practically, right? So, so what they're saying is okay. If you drive, and, and these are some things that have been tabled in discussion, if you drive 10,000, uh, like if you drive 10,000 different rides, you basically get either a cash bonus of a thousand bucks or you get the equivalent amount of stock of the company after uh, after you do that. So almost like a bonus. Yeah. And, okay. then, and then if you hit 20,000 rides, you get to, I think it's like $10,000 of a cash bonus or right. stock. So it's really incentivizing them to, to to hit those milestones. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And, and and you can be part of the company is the whole sort of uh, the metric there. So so anyway, that, that's like the, the, the most recent de- development. So what, what I kind of wanted to discuss is just w- what does that mean for drivers? What does that mean for uh, people doing Uber in Canada? What does it mean for people doing Lyft in, in Canada and sort of how that all works? Yeah. So I, I think I think one of the natural questions, and, and Gus, maybe I'll turn to you to sort of explain this, but like what's the key differentiation between the driver being an employee of Uber or Lyft or the driver just being a, a what we call independent contractor? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, um, you know, as an employee of a company, you would be entitled to certain things. You'd be you'd be salaried for one. Uh, there would be benefits issued by most of the companies out there these days. Um, uh, the company is overall responsible for your employment, your equipment. Uh, they like in this situation, if you know uh, Uber or Lyft were employing company uh employing companies they would uh be issuing cars to their employees or giving them some sort of benefit or reimbursement for using their cars 
and then, of course, there's a, a whole slew of uh, topics in terms of the risk levels, things like yeah. that. Uh, for contractors, you're basically working on your own like and you'll see this today like a lot of uber drivers are lyft drivers and are you know maybe some other affiliation as well you know they're they're tacking on all of these platforms right um and you know that's that's the unique benefit of being a contractor you're not tied down to one specific company um, the other things are is you're you're really your own business then you yeah can, like your deductions um, are, like you earn the money from from Uber or Lyft and you can start deducting things like your your car related expenses your fuel uh, and, and the reasonable mileage that sort of thing yeah no no that's 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 a good point and so so one of the things and this is like I I actually um, I'm I wasn't completely up to date with this on the U S side but. Here's the thing about issuing stock. So um, once once these drivers are are uh, in a position to receive stock, there's a few things that need to happen. So I'll explain what it is in the U.S. very briefly, and then sort of what the implication is in Canada. Right in the U.S., um, whether it's stock options or stock, there, there's there's some hurdles in terms of giving drivers like giving independent contractors equity of a company because. It, it is normally considered an employment benefit, and usually, just like in Canada, employees get preferential treatment when they receive stock of the company that they are employed by. So, and and this this is the same in Canada. The the benefits aren't equivalent, but one of the interesting aspects of it is if you're considered an employee and you receive stock options or stock of the company, you basically get a preferential tax treatment where you either get to defer taxes for a few years or you only get taxed at the capital gain or 50%, if you will, of, of the, the stuff that you receive. Again, not to go into any like too much complexity here, but the interesting thing is, is that that's a key hurdle between uh, employees and contractors. In the US, you can't really issue stock to contractors as it is. So the Securities Exchange Commission is now reviewing. They, they've been looking at it since July. They put something out for comment. Um, but but that's something that's happening over there. In Canada, there's going to be different implications here. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, it's an interesting thing. So I, I did want to get your thoughts on sort of... Uh, what are the and 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 Gus, like you you do a bunch of stuff from the investment side, looking at financial portfolios and things like that. Yeah, for, absolutely. For our clients, so what is the danger of let's say casual drivers receiving equity of a company? Like, what do they do with it? Like, what do you think? Are, yeah, are the <laughs> that's that's a great question. So, um, you know, right off the bat, you you mentioned that you know employees or, or sorry, these contractors are. Um, given the option of either a cash bonus or stock options, I yeah. I, I can guarantee probably a lot of these people are going to just take the cash. <laughs> that's um, a good or point. maybe they don't even understand what stock options are. Maybe right. they don't see the value there. But that's that's the inherent risk with options. Is can you even exercise these options? Right? That's true. So, uh, just generally for our listeners, like uh, option is basically the opportunity to purchase stock at a certain price right right in the so, future right in the future so um the risk there is maybe the price of the current stock right now is never going to get to a value where you would actually want to exercise this option so 
you you risk losing all the money in your investment. Yeah, and and what happens what happens if you don't have the money to exercise a stock option? That's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. So this you've invested money into the option that doesn't mean you are necessarily entitled to a free stock you now have the option to purchase the stock at a certain price right so the the benefit of doing this is you hope that uber or lyft stock price shoots through the roof and your exercise price is say ten dollars and the stock is in the money and it's at twenty dollars well there your your split is that that ten dollar gain yeah so and and i just uh, like almost like an opinion and again we have no idea because it's not like uber and lyft publicizes their their future policies for us to digest but like what do you think are the chances of them let's say it's not a stock option let's say they're willing to just give you fair market value of stock what do you think are the chances that they will actually let you purchase like a discounted stock versus stock with a premium yeah yeah and um right now it's 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 a race to see who's first right so i think um, you know, the initial IPO date, you're going to see a huge uh, discount to what the the actual fair value of these stocks are. But yeah, you're you're exactly right. I think that's that's the major concern. Yeah. And then and then the other part is, of course, uh, like what what happens? Like, are they going to educate the drivers? And, and again, not like just like any investor, like investors need to be educated. And a lot of the a lot of the rules and the hurdles that you and I end up jumping through are, are simply there because we need to protect the market at large. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. investors before putting money, like let's say you're going to get a twenty thousand dollar cash bonus. Right. Versus stock. And, and you choose stock. You need to be protected from a perspective of you need to be informed of what is the company doing? Where are they going? Do you feel like that's a retirement asset? Like there's a lot of yeah. consideration that you go into it. And and is that something you would want to just unleash on drivers at large without a, without assessing it? Yeah. And you got to think of what's what's the average um, uh, like, you know, experience level of these drivers with complicated things uh complicated investment vehicles such as options right like, yeah uh you know even savvy investors aren't investing in options right. they're investing directly in the stock and you need so. some level of representation yeah, from a professional absolutely. like a what are the like the financial uh, yeah planning certified people. financial planner yeah or, exactly uh, cfa or uh, what have yeah, you someone and, that knows how to execute them which are, which is certainly but but there's there's one thing that that i think is is an important takeaway from this whole thing in canada the danger is, and, and this is supported by a few tax court cases right now, the danger is if you are a contractor that's granted stock or even stock options, right? And again, you're not an employee of the company, so you don't get the benefits of certain deferral in specific situations. You will be taxed at the fair market yeah. value of yeah. what you received. Sure. So what what may be uh, exceptionally cumbersome to those that are, let's say, uh, that, that, that are accepting of this policy from the Uber and Lyft perspective is the drivers may actually have a cash outlay in terms of taxes assessed for receiving those options in a bonus. So yeah. you yeah. physically get zero cash. Yes, you get the stock or you get the stock option. But when it comes to tax time at the end of the year, you may be required to pay for the equivalent uh, receipt of the fair market value of what you got, which, right. which is a huge yeah. danger. And you know what I mean? Yeah, listen, we're not advocating one way or another here on whether yeah, the cash or, or the stock is the right way to go. You know, it may be very... 
very lucrative to go for the stock. But right. yeah, like you said, um, uh, for those who aren't necessarily um, uh, versed with the tax law and how it works, it's it's you're you're usually dealing with cash, right? So yeah. if if you're not getting anything tangible, you're not getting cash in your hand. And then you're taxed on it. You know, like for most people, they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Right. right? So you need to look at it as a continuum. Like you're saying, uh, you know, uh, people who are choosing the options are saying, you know, they believe in the company. They believe the value is going to go up and you're, you're, you're looking long term. Yeah. Would you say, and this is, this is sort of what I like Canadian tax law right now like if uber and lyft institute something like this and 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 again we talked about the gig economy in the previous episode right and and like even in our discussion with uh with robin so shout out to robin um and uh the the interesting part about the gig economy is our tax laws aren't necessarily following along there because if we have more people and more people that are assessed as contractors rather than employees and do not stand to benefit from the deferral of tax on things like the granting of stock and stock options, the danger is, like we're we're basically making the income gap larger between, especially if more and more of the workforce is moving toward independent contractor, right. and a lot and and less and less people are becoming employees. Those tax benefits that are afforded only to employees is only going to further create the disparity. So we need to stay on top of this, and I think I think politically, uh, let alone uh, uh, from a financial regulation standpoint. But we all know how how long it takes to to pass tax laws and and everything else. But I think this is a good time to to get focused on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Gus, I've been looking to find a good financial advisor. What should I be looking out for? I wish all my fourteen-year-old uh, uh, clients were were that savvy and asking me these types of questions. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> you know my cousins around that age—they're they're asking me for for money to spend at the the corner store and to buy something online. Uh, yeah, back back investing. in the day, it was like Palladium. Yeah, exactly. I think we went to Palladium. Yeah, last I don't year. think investments hit 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 my mind until I was like. Well, like maybe a year ago. <laughs> oh, good, good thing that's your area of expertise. Yeah. Then. <laughs> hey, listen, I have an interest in it. It doesn't mean I actually have the money to invest, right? So, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, selecting professional advisors and um, selecting advisors are really es- essential to protecting your wealth. Um, they provide knowledge, expertise, object advice uh, in areas that you have little to no experience in. Yeah, right. Just um, most things. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's important to recognize when it's necessary to call in an expert, right? Uh, and of course, people are reluctant to do that because there's costs associated with hiring professionals like accountants, lawyers, financial planners, right? Yeah. Versus a DIY approach where you DIY, can, but close yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can uh, you can do it yourself and Google it online, and uh, you know, but that can be short sighted and often detrimental. For for example, right? So uh, you can have a person that's doing their income tax return online. Um, and they may be missing out on critical deductions, right? Uh, so when, yeah, of course. Whereas seeking out a tax accountant may provide them with 
a larger amount of deductions and and maybe even justify the fee. Yeah, and, and even and even people sometimes forget that there's that whole aspect of what happens when the CRA asks. Yeah, exactly. So like, oh, you filed it yourself online. What happens if the CRA asks is that you will have to find someone willing to represent you at some colossal fee. Whereas if you had an accountant that was involved with it at the beginning, at the very least, they'll be able to provide some sort of basis for responding to the CRA or at least some preliminary banter with them, if you will, if not, yeah. if not the full-on defense. Yeah, any, any uh, uh, you know, uh, software online that says, you know, you can file it yourself, they're waiving all sorts of... Uh, responsibility right, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There's no responsibility to to them. Yeah, you, you put in your own info and, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, conversely, someone, uh, another situation could be like maybe, and, and I'm in the situation where we're doing a little bit of uh, uh, wealth planning and we're doing, yeah. uh, you know, will and estate and power of attorney. Right. And there's a lot of information online and I'm guilty of this myself. Like I'm I'm drawing it up and, but I, I, I'm at least having. When did you go advisor. to law school? <laughs> I'm at least having an advisor yeah, a, a involved with the process, right. exactly. Um, because the risk there is, you know, I do it myself and and file it, and it could be invalidated when if, if something. Yeah, if happens, it goes right? to court or yeah. something, right? Exactly. Probate probate is a little bit of a problem. Uh, yeah, so let's just jump into like what are some general factors to consider uh, in selecting a professional, right? Um, so before starting some just general pointers, like you want to have an idea, have, have a list of questions when you're going in to your initial consultation with a professional, uh, and, and prioritize those questions because maybe you're going to run out of time and you're going to have to schedule another. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of the initial consultations, like you, you start too granular and people start talking about very specific situations at the start. Exactly. What kind of stuff are like, what kind of stuff should you really be bringing to the table? Like, yeah, like structure. Is it? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, basic personal information, the questions that are generally popping into your head, right? Like, so for us from, from an accounting perspective or a tax perspective, you know, oftentimes it's like, okay, well, bring in, bring in your corporation documents, bring in your personal details, yeah, bring in your organizational chart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's, that's uh, a great start. And, um, often the advisors should be proactive, right? So when you're setting up that initial consultation, they should also be telling you what to bring. bring in X, Y, and Z. It'll help, facilitate the discussion yeah yeah exactly if you if if that's how you know your your specific professional is serious about servicing you is exactly when they arrange the meeting and you you arrange for arrange to come in they say listen for this meeting to make it productive like bring in the following documents let's go over them together because i know even when when we had like we we had a couple new client discussions this week and uh the the question we always ask is what what does your organizational chart look like? Or like, what are the companies involved? Like, do you own the shares personally? Do you own them through a holding company? Like, there's a lot of things that, that we're always curious about and, and we, we don't tend to get all the info up front. So we have to request it. So we, we also do our best to make sure to send, send out some sort of list saying, this is what we're going to need. Yeah, and and every, every professional should have that sort of approach to it if they're serious about helping you with what it is you need assistance with. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's jump into some other factors to consider. So 
for me, number one is is qualifications. So before you entrust someone with your affairs, you want to know that he or she has the proper qualifications. So uh, what could this be? This could be professional designations, accreditations, uh, like uh, recommendations online. Uh, and, and you want to make sure that this individual is, is actually an active member as well, right? And, and why would you say that? those sort of designations accreditations are necessary yeah yeah well a really good example is for financial advisory right like anybody can put up uh put up shop and basically say they're a financial advisor so this is something specific to that group that uh you know is 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 actually a real issue um and how how are you going to know that this person is actually legitimate or not right Right. so uh you want to have someone that's at least got some sort of designation behind their name like uh, you know if it's a, an accountant they're a ca cga cpa uh if it's a, a financial advisor you know like they're a cfa uh cfp as well yeah, cfp if like a state planner i know there's like an step designation yeah uh, and lawyers obviously your llbs or jds yeah, whatever JD, yeah. and uh, yeah no absolutely and and i guess if they have a professional designation, I think one good way to look at it is they, they stand to lose something if they're wrong. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's a big part. If, if you're just dealing with uh, Rick or Joe down the street that decided that they're, they're going to help uh, random participants in, uh, in providing financial advice, that's not the same as someone who has their entire career tied down to the designation or the certification that they hold. Yeah, right, who's who's going to follow specific process and procedures, and you're probably more protected with that individual too when it comes to uh, any sort of liability or anything that could possibly go wrong. As yeah, well. and absolutely, and these these professional designations oftentimes have the requirements for continued education. So yeah. you're not getting someone who's just you know gone to school 20 years ago and hasn't updated their professional knowledge like yeah. to keep these designations. And every, everyone tells experience. Like, yeah. oh, I have 20 years, I have 40 years experience. <laughs> we all have experience. Yeah, yeah. The, That's the, question, the question is, can you, exactly, can you still do, can you still maintain the professional qualification requirements today that that you like passed in whatever uh, uh, time long long ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Funny enough, Igor, you uh, inadvertently uh, got on to my next point here uh, about I experience. Apologize. Yeah, no, no, that's, <laughs> it's great, good timing. So, uh, yeah. So my next point was was literally that experience. So the degree of experience, the number of years of experience, um, is is one thing, but the percentage of time practicing. Um, in in the area you're seeking advice for. So it's great to say, uh, you know, as a professional for us, we have over, you know, 12 years of experience each, but is it 12 years of experience in that area that you're looking for? Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that, right? Right, right. No, absolutely. And exactly. You can have, uh, you can have, for example, in our field, you can be a CA, you can be CPA. And if all you do is public company audits, you don't want that guy preparing your tax return. <laughs> like you don't because they have no idea how to do this. Yeah. You have to be experienced in the particular field that you're looking for. Yeah. And sometimes, you know what I think that means? You need to do a little bit more due diligence on your end to make sure that the professional, because like I said, everybody has experience. You have to do your due diligence to see is the experience of the professional uh, that the professional has relevant to what you need them to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the next point I have, and not necessarily uh, concrete here, but um, compatible personality, right? You need to feel comfortable with the individual you're dealing with. Um, if And if you're going to have an ongoing relationship, the, the, the attitude of the professional, the approach, and the commitment of that individual is very important. Uh, and if you don't feel that there's a good chemistry between you two, just don't continue the relationship. Because human nature is that if you're going to want to resist contacting them or even sharing divulging information that's personal uh, to this individual if you're not yeah. feeling comfortable. And you're going to be missing out on on advice that you would otherwise have. Yeah. And also, yeah. like you need to have a productive relationship, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to be able to to engage in open dialogue and and enjoy that part of the experience right like everyone everyone always talks about like oh like i have this favorite supermarket i have this favorite coffee shop and like oh like i know this attendant and i know this cashier and like i wave at them okay but like i speak to my accountant once every five years and only when someone dies in my family like no no <laughs> like that's not yeah you want to that's be not the approach you want to take right yeah, so you yeah. you want to be able to engage them keep them posted and if your accountant is billing you for the five minute phone call to to keep you posted uh find someone else <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, then, that's nuts I, that's, I don't think i don't think we've ever charged phone time uh, like yeah, in, in our no, entire no. career to be yeah. fair uh, but I, really, I know people and, that and do I know people that do right? it really depends on the type of professional you're dealing with oftentimes you know to seek uh, legal advice yeah. they will charge you for phone calls yeah. right so fees is a good good point to discuss as well right and uh you at the end of the day need to feel comfortable with the fees being charged and the payment terms is it fair is it competitive is it affordable? And again, you know, we we live in the modern age where where internet uh, can give you everything. So yeah. I mean, you can easily find what the average price is, if not like by shopping around yourself by just doing a quick Google search. Absolutely, and and also I think a good a good indication uh, for any sort of professional is you get what you pay for. So if you're gonna if you're gonna like absolutely if, again if you come it's like oh like this tax return is too expensive like the guy down the street said he'd do it for seventy two dollars and this is like a corporate <laughs> tax return God bless you go give it a shot yeah because yeah. Like, <laughs> it's it's just there there's a certain amount of time that goes into any activity it doesn't have to be tax accounting whatever but like when it comes to legal work when it comes to estate planning professionals are charging you for the time there is a standard rate that they use and and that that literally takes into account all of the necessary steps processes just because the guy down the street is offering it for one tenth of the price this is where this is where your bs meter will, will need to click in and you need to realize that mm, perhaps they're going to be skipping a few steps along the way because <laughs> guess what if the requirements are on the same in terms of like legal, regulatory, tax, we all go through the same steps. Every accountant has to go through the same steps. Every lawyer has to go through the same steps. If someone's offering it for one-tenth of the price, you're getting one-tenth of the steps. Yeah, and it, that's a great that's a great point. You got what you pay for. It can really be true for professionals. So, um, and another thing to think about with that, that fee discrepancy is 
what are you looking for? For example, for, for an accountant, do you need, do you need a bookkeeper or do you need a tax accountant, right? Those are two very different requirements Indeed, and the fees are going to be different, but what stays the same is the hour requirement. So there is a chargeable hour with usual, like a, a chargeable hour time allotment per task, like Igor was mentioning. And there's also a, a fee per hour. So uh, general, generally, if you have X amount of fees being charged to you, it'll equate to a certain amount of hours related to the work that you need. Of course. So that's that's a good way to kind of say, well, you know, if my fee is, you know, $200, is that that sounds like, you know, generally speaking in the ballpark, if we're looking for a tax accountant's time, that's like, you know, maybe less than an hour. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. Is yeah, and, and you, you got to be, and yeah. that's the thing, you got to be realistic about it, right? It's not, it's not that, and every professional is like that. And you know what? Like, I, I, I agree. And, and we, ha- listen, we have to pay legal fees too. We have to pay all sorts of other fees. We have to pay corporate fees, institute fees, and all of that. And they all come with a cost. And that, that is the nature of our economy. And it, it's not it's not a result of just, for example, and, and everyone picks on lawyers. We're not lawyers, but everyone picks on lawyers <laughs> and that, that they're very expensive. And the reality is there's a lot of steps that they have to go through. And I mean, that's that's the yeah. only thing that drives the cost. If they didn't have to comply with 700 different common law elements, whatever, whatever it is they go through in the process, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that much. But right. again, that's something to consider. And Gus, you, you made some you made some good points. I think just in terms of like finding that correct professional, and I I'd say overall my my sort of lookout on that is understand your need. If you reach out to professionals and you don't actually know what it is that you need to be executed be prepared for like a wide, wide range of fees to be charged. Because if no one knows what it is you want, it's very difficult to understand what the most efficient way to do it. If you go into a professional's office and you say, these are the, these are the steps that I need done, this is the plan that I want to do, or I want to discuss the possibilities of these three types of plans or whatever, that will bring your fees down because the professional that works with you is going to realize, okay, you understand what it is that you want to happen and you're willing to to spend the time efficiently. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you're you're limiting your scope there, right? And yeah. you, you can't blame the professional either if you go into there and you're not really sure. What they're, it is you want They're, from they're them, trying yeah. to figure it out themselves, right? Of course. So. Of course. Uh, yeah. And uh, so just final point here to wrap things up. So uh, the last thing I would say is 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 get references. And, and what do I mean by that? Because don't expect an, an advisor to provide you with a list of their clients and be like, hey, here, go call up my clients. You're probably breaching about a, a dozen confidentiality rules. There, yes, but, yes. Uh, um, what you're looking for is things like online reviews. Maybe they have reviews on their websites uh, or through Google or, or whatever avenue, Facebook, right? Um, another thing you can do is ask the professional uh, what other professionals do they deal with, right? Yeah. Like, so for us, for, for being an accounting firm, we deal with, you know, we deal with a U.S. tax firm. We deal with lawyers. We deal with other financial planners um, and, you know, get those contacts and ask for their opinions on that specific individual. Ask for their strengths and weaknesses. Of course. Those, those professionals. That's a very good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, and exactly because they're not—it's not a client confidentiality issue at that point. It's someone that they choose yeah. to work with. Yeah, yeah, and uh, again, and we're we're speaking from experience because you know we get 
we get client calls daily about, uh, you know, I- engaging us to do, you know, accounting, financial planning, tax advice. And uh, a lot of these things aren't getting mentioned. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, it, and, and we try as 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 a firm to give them as much information as they need. But it, it, it really comes down to that individual to do the due diligence. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You got to put the effort up front and that way you can have the best experience. Excellent. I can't buy my favorite pair of Gap jeans. I heard they're closing down the stores. Igor, what's that about? All right. So um, the, w- one of our promised segment uh, openings uh, was the fact that a bunch of retail stores were closing. So um, basically in 48 hours, Gus, what, what ended up happening was Gap, JCPenney, Victoria's Secret, and Foot Locker. I haven't been in Foot Locker in forever. Um, announced that they were going to close a total of 465 stores yeah, over like wow. a 48-hour period. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So that that was uh, that was a basically, and and a lot of this was based on, and they all kind of released at the same time because, uh, of course, they're all uh, somewhat they talk to each other. I guess they all they all do it to soften the impact, so they all do it together. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they, this was based on on a uh, same store sales decline. So what that means, um, and, and back when I worked in retail forever ago on the financial planning side, same store sales are basically, they look like it, it's what it what it says. So they look at an individual store and they compare how much money did that store bring in this year versus last year. And they were showing declines between 3 and 7% year over year for a bunch of these stores. So they ended up shutting a bunch of them down. Now... It sounds astronomical that it's 465 stores. I mean, at the end of the day, these brands have like, they're huge. They have hundreds and hundreds of stores across North America. So in in a lot of cases, right? So because of that, it it may not be the biggest impact, but nonetheless, it it is a trend. So what, what, uh, one interesting thing, I guess, that's happening is there, there were a few factors. So one of the factors, everyone always, again, blames Amazon for, for all of the world the world's troubles. Um, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case in this case. So there, there's, a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of studies and sort of stats out there that a lot of the cannibalizing from these stores ha- has been going on to like Walmart, Target, Costco, Marshalls. So a lot of these big box stores that are opening up their own like clothing departments. Like you, you, again, you've seen for sure. Like listen, like I, I go to the superstore sometimes. They they have a clothing department. Yeah, yeah. Right. They exactly. have their own their own whole. So and and at the end of the day, what what tends to be happening and what we're finding in terms of trends is people just don't necessarily need want to go to a specific clothing retailer like the trend seems to be and not that I'm a trendsetter by any stretch of the imagination but the trend seems to be more on like you know like a personal retail like you and I had this discussion before like you can become a retailer on an online sort of uh, vehicle and you can sell your own clothing brand, you can design it, you can yeah. manufacture like 10 pairs of jeans or whatever and then you can distribute them and people will buy it Yeah, because absolutely. it's unique, because you made it and it, it makes it makes a splash, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, to your point, like uh, the, the shopping experience has changed, right? There's, there's an element of, yeah, you know, if you're going to be looking for a low cost item or something, you know, in bulk or something like that. Yeah, maybe it is better to find it online. But like that trend that you're saying, um, like, you know, the shift of the the stores to the the big box retailers, 
Um, that's very interesting, right? Like there's there's some sort of sales proposition that's moving people there. And and you gotta you gotta look at the other major retailers. Like you you go like every time I pass by an Apple store, it's it's packed with people, right? Yeah. Like there's there's something attractive about those stores, right? So that seems to be a change in the demographics as well. Is yeah. like is it is it inviting? Is there other things to do in the store other than just buy and get out of there? It's the shopping experience. You're, you know what? And and that that's actually a, a fantastic point because one of the implications. So then so people read this. And they're like, oh my God, what's happening? Retail's going down the down the hole. The reality is there's going to be a reorganization in retail. And that's sort of where, where I think things are headed. And specifically, the malls that are losing the big box stores or like losing like the specific, I would call them special brand stores, like the ones that just announced store closings, those malls just don't have enough traffic. Like I'll, I'll bring an example, Yorkdale. So Yorkdale Mall, look, it's on the subway line. It's got a ton of stores. It's got like a next level food court. It's got like the 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 what's it called the big box eateries or whatever. Yeah, like it, it's got it's very fancy movie mall. theater. Yeah, very, very fancy, fancy mall. mall for those yeah. that that don't know it. But at the end of the day, that's like an experience where people just hang out in that mall. Like it's got yeah. a lot of foot traffic. It's not that necessarily everyone sits there and buys stuff, but it it attracts people because it's almost like a a community on its own. Right. And a lot of these out-of-the-way malls that were built solely for the purpose of providing retail space, they don't create the same experience. Yeah. So these are the malls that are going to be in trouble down the road, and, and I think that's going to be where direction moves. So any malls like downtown Eaton Center, and again, like that's sort of Toronto's one of Toronto's main malls as well. You create the experience. That's what's going to keep it. So, um, but but like in terms of uh, in terms of the jobs and everything else that we're losing, like what what do you think, Gus, is is the risk um, the risk to like the employees and the shutdowns and everything else? Like, can the job market recover? Yeah, yeah. I think the main uh, businesses at risk here are the small mom and pop shops, right? If one you're not you're not getting completely hammered by uh, economies of scale. It's it's the fact that you know general costs for like the square footage rent is yeah, increasing, right? So generally, your operating costs are getting higher. The costs of employing individuals are going up. Like it, it's just like these small businesses can't get a break. So 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 there's there's a, I think the solution in in what you say, online like online retail. Right. Yeah. So so yeah. it's time for it's time for everyone that, for example, will be affected by the retail crunch to start thinking about like, OK, so if I can't pay the rent in, in the shopping mall, how do I transition into an online business? How do I compete with the online things? And how do you get yourself in that sort of scenario? Right. And I think that's going to be the next step, because as retail locations go out of business, it's going to be more and more difficult for for people to find those positions. And you know what? Like those positions employ a big part of the workforce. Right. Absolutely. And they're going to yeah. have to. And if they have the specialty and the interest to work in retail, there's a lot of opportunities that are opening up because of the whole international thing. Like there's the design side of things. There's the warehousing. There's the management. There's the creation of brands there's off-brand like labeling and everything else mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of opportunities out there so for yeah. anyone that's sort of in that position i think that's that's the natural next step progression but it's i think it's time to start thinking about it yeah and you you really got to look in, internally and see if it's a fundamental problem with 
um, you know, your products that you're selling? Or is it is it circumstance of this general trend as well? Right, right. right. Yeah. And that's definitely another consideration. Yeah. So, so uh, Igor, what are sort of the long-term impacts on some of these malls, you think? There's going to be, uh, listen, the, I think the harsh reality is going to be that the malls won't drop their rent. Right. It's it, the way, the way and, and what you and I know about real estate, and we, listen, we, we worked on a bunch of stuff with real estate together, and the reality is a lot of the value that's sitting in the malls is, is again, is their commercial the, the fact that they hold commercial space. Yeah. Not necessarily that they hold productive commercial space. Yeah. So as soon as like a major retailer leaves them all, the, the people have more than enough wealth, more than enough capital. And I say people, companies have more than enough wealth and capital to hold that in steady position until the retail market recovers or they, they transition and move it to some other sort. So I don't think it's going to impact them all that much. I think the, the malls would rather have closed stores boarded up uh, until until the next sort the right, of uh, the right wave in the by. economy yeah. comes by. Yeah, yeah so exactly. I, I don't think it's going to affect them all that much. So, yeah, but and, I guess we'll see. And and like you said, there's no, no shortage of uh, businesses out there that are starting up, right? So it's just a matter of finding the right one that fits, right? Uh, yeah, you know, and not compromising day, on your rent. Yeah, exactly. You know, like there's a small chain of shops out where I live. And, uh, you know, I saw... Uh, the corner location changed about six times in the last two <laughs> years. You know, like it's oh, it's a it's a Greek place. Oh, now it's Chinese. Oh, now it's uh, Indian food. Like yeah. it, it's just it changes, but then something sticks, right? Something so, sticks, uh, right? Know, maybe that's what they're waiting out. That's for. a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Excellent. Gus and Igor, since we still don't have a phone line here, why don't you take some more questions from Reddit? All right, we're back with uh, with our favorite segment of of the podcast. So, um, yeah, let's uh, again slow the phone. Uh, so, Reddit, Reddit, it is for the question. So let's let's get started. We're gonna do a little bit of a lightning round. So I'm gonna ask you a question. Uh, Gus has no idea how to answer it yet, but we'll hear him answer. Uh, then Gus is gonna ask me a question, and I'm gonna ask Gus a question. That's how we're gonna do it. Gus, Excellent. You ready? Yeah, sounds Excellent. good. Hit me. All right. So. My uh, my best friend's husband got a great job overseas, uh, but unfortunately, he's asking his wife to let go of her health card, like the the OHIP in Ontario, right? For tax reasons. So the question is, is this legitimate? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So it sounds like uh, this person's getting at um, you know, residency status in Canada. Right. Um, so, you know, residency status is important in determining whether or not, um, like for tax purposes, you're, you're Canadian and you'll be taxed in Canada as well. Right. So, um, significant residential ties include like whether or not you have a home, your spouse or common law partners in Canada and dependents in Canada. These other secondary things. So like the, 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 the health OHIP card. card. Yeah. 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 The OHIP card, like your passport, driver's license, things like that are secondary determinants of that as well. So it's not, it's not black and white here in terms of, uh, breaking ties just by 
via throwing away your OHIP card, but um, you really need to consider the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you really want to break ties and become a non-resident. And, and what's the what's the point if you're breaking ties? What's the what's the advantage? Let's say. Well, uh, like again, advantage is uh, dependent on the scenario, but uh, mainly if if you're uh, kind of straddling two countries and uh, you know you're frequenting another country more and you don't think you're going to be coming back to Canada. Uh, maybe then is it's a good idea to break ties because you don't want to be considered uh, a full-time resident or a part-time resident and taxed here and, and maybe In have addition some adverse, to. yeah having some adverse tax implications a lot of these countries uh, with Canada have tax treaties but this becomes very complicated so definitely seek out your 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 tax advisor for this type of scenario yeah probably not a not a simple thing yeah absolutely uh, yeah so Igor let's let's move on here um, so we have an individual here who is incorporated and he's asking how much do I need to pay myself versus leaving it in the business uh, so it sounds like uh, you know these this employee is making around 60k in terms of revenues um, uh, and is incorporated and plans to stay incorporated and he's the only employee and owner of this company as well so uh, he's trying to figure out you know like he draws a bit of the money uh, into his personal bank account every once in a while uh, uh, so how much should he be claiming that as personal versus keeping it in the yeah business? that's a good question that the simple the simple answer is is as much as much as you need because uh, the reality is uh, if you're if you're running a business in a corporation the, the, what you determine to pay yourself and again assuming that you're the only employee of the company what you determine to pay yourself is is purely depends on your personal tax situation so let's do a high level here the advantage to having a corporation, this individual says that that he intends to keep the corporation. The advantage to having a corporation is that it will be taxed, and again, in a very simple way, at the small business tax rate, which is the around 15%, let's say. Yeah, assuming this, like he's not earning uh, income from one one particular business, right? Yeah, if it's not a specified, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah. personal service business. The, uh, the, 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 the advantage to that is... The money that gets taxed at the lower tax rate than he would, for example, in the, be individually can be reinvested in the business and, and, and everyone. This is the point of the income tax rates because the corporate tax rate is lower than the personal one to allow for reinvestment in the business. So you get taxed at a corporate level, you have more funds remaining in the company than you would have if you had paid it to yourself. Does that mean you never have to pay that tax? No. Whenever you transfer it to yourself personally, you're going to get hit with the other part of the Tax. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not like it's a win-win, but but the win is that the corporation has more money. You got to make sure that this person needs to understand that the individual is separate from the corporation and all matters are completely separate. So it really depends. If you want to leave money in the company in order to grow the company because you have to pay advertising, because you have to do all of that stuff, leave it in the company. If you need the company to survive, by all means, pay yourself. And this is a good point for me to say really quickly. Pay yourself in salary. Do not just cut yourself like checks randomly throughout the year. You're going to be hit with payroll remittance, like uh, what's it called, underpayment over the course of the year. You may get hit with filing penalties. You might get hit with source deductions. Like there's a lot of complicated stuff that happens. Talk to someone that can put you in a position where you can pay the uh, pay the proper taxes when they are due. So. Cutting random checks over the year from your corp to yourself, 
automatically something that the serial yeah yeah you really want to decide what kind of income source that's going to be maybe it's a dividend salary but yeah again igor touched a good point with integration here like if it's coming into your pockets personally you're going to get taxed at a certain rate regardless of whether it's uh, salary or dividends but yeah last thing you want to do is just start drawing money randomly from the company and not deciding beforehand what what type of income that is yeah absolutely all right gus your turn so um question being do i need to report rental income outside of canada even if that money never gets to canada so the situation being is it's a it's a foreign property and this individual's uh family has bought a foreign property and the foreign property is in this individual's name So the place is rented out, the place earns income, the income goes into a foreign bank account. The foreign bank account is is managed to keep the rental property active. And should this income be declared in Canada and how is it treated? Yeah, okay, so, um, you know, couple couple, uh, missing details in there. So I'm assuming this individual is is a resident. Is a resident of Canada, correct. Yeah, so, um, you know, if they are a resident of Canada, even if it's foreign uh, foreign income, you would need to report this on your tax return. Uh, even even uh, more pertinent is the value the value of the property needs to be disclosed as well. So this this is very complicated. This is not a straightforward answer, but just to to stay short and to the point here. Yes, absolutely, you need to report it. Uh, you can't not disclose this to CRA, and it's becoming increasingly uh, more difficult to try and do this. So if you think you can circumvent the the tax rules and say, well, oh, you, you know, it's in another country, I don't need to necessarily report it. Just keep in mind that like the 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 methods of transfer, um, you know, yeah, the, min- the minute that money hits trace. Canadian soil, yeah, someone's going to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. What 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 happens if they already pay tax on it in that other country? Yeah, so then you'd want to look to the specific tax treaties between Canada and that country. Um, obviously, you're not going to like. Ideally, if there is a tax treaty, you're not going to be hit with double taxation, but there's a chance that you may if you're not looking into these proactively. So again, seek advice from your tax advisor. This is not a straightforward scenario. Yeah. Don't definitely don't uh, not report this. I think that's that's, that's uh, the key yeah, key absolutely. value here. Absolutely. And then the way the tax treaties works for everyone's benefit is exactly there. There may be there may be a little bit of overlap, uh, but. The, the very short of it is whatever taxes you would be paid in Canada, some part of the taxes you pay in another country would be deducted against that amount. Depends on the country, depends on the rate, depends on the timeline, depends on a lot of things. And that's why exactly advisor is, is the preferred method of, of evaluating that. And, and not just any advisor. Yeah, uh, one that one that understands foreign tax treaties. Yeah, probably in, in concert with a lawyer. Yeah, and so. just keep in mind if your property is over a certain amount of value as well, there is a severe penalty if you do not report it and and it's somehow found out. Right. So, yeah. um, it, it you know voluntary voluntary disclosure is already the gap has narrowed on what CRA is accepting. So a lot of this they're they're hitting penalties hard for individuals that are that are not reporting. 
Excellent. So, Igor, I think that uh, that about wraps it up for today for us. So, uh, do you have any closing remarks? Yeah, listen, loaded, loaded podcast. I feel like we we got through a few, yeah, quite absolutely. a few things, but there were there was a lot to go through. So, I I think overall, lots of lots of fun lessons learned. So, listen, th- thanks everyone for tuning in and for staying with us and for for all the support, even from the last pod. Uh, so we'll certainly we'll certainly keep it going like it's something we love to do yeah and listen we're we're always looking for feedback thank you so much for for all your comments like we you know we were extremely overwhelmed with just the the first first uh first round round of of response yeah yeah yeah. so uh thank you for that and thank you for listening and uh hopefully tune in soon goodbye This has been Abacus Briefs with Gus and Igor. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast delivery service you use. For questions, comments, and the like, email us at info at kpcpa.ca. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at kp underscore cpa. Until next time.